Today we're talking to commercial film director of Forever Current Studios, Mr. Jared Noah. How are you, Jared? I'm good, how are you? Good, thank you. Thanks so much for taking the time to be here with me. Of course. So Jared, by the end of this conversation, I would like everybody to understand the importance of digital and video marketing for their brand or business. And I'm sure with your background, and your uh, professional experience that you're definitely gonna answer that question for us. Okay, I hope so. So Jared, can you tell me a little bit about, you know, your personal background and how you got started in the film industry? Uh, yeah, personal background, I came to uh, Florida in 1996. My parents uh, moved from Montreal, Canada. That's where I was born and I was eight years old moved down here and, uh, you know, pretty much took a little bit of an adjustment, you know, coming from another another country. Yeah, moved down in 1996 and I went to uh, public school in Boca. And uh, after that, I wanted to go to whatever college would take me for uh, mm -hmm. the arts. And FAU was right around the corner. It was, you know, um, sort of the perfect setup. And they had a film degree there. So... I definitely knew that that's what I was gonna, you know, get into. Um, Did you come from a family of uh, any film directors or any, uh, you know? Not, not directors, but no. there's a lot of artists in my family. Mm -hmm. Two of my cousins on my mom's side are professional dance teachers. They compete in Canada. Um, my grandfather was a musician. Mm -hmm. of, you know, he used to compose music for the king of Morocco back in the day. Wow. He was very famous. Um, and uh, my father's side, a lot of like artists in the way of my aunt's a designer my cousin's also a photographer mm -hmm. and has a studio in montreal so it just seems to be in the, <laughs> the family theme. yeah yeah nice. so what role does a formal education play when it comes to the film industry is it definitely necessary to go to school for it would you say kind of like you did um i'd say i'd say this and i know it's it's not like it's popular to bash college now but i do believe that in many field, fields, there's still a need to go and mm -hmm. get that formal education. Uh, I do think that a lot of people could, instead of going to a four-year college, uh, could go to a vocational school mm -hmm. where they can learn a trade. I think that that art has sort of been lost, the mm -hmm. sort of that um, the pride and the that you would have in having a, a trade mm -hmm. like that. Like, it's still needed, you know? Mm -hmm. But as far as going for something in the arts, if my father never would have set aside any money for like um, for me to go to school for credits for mm -hmm. my classes, it's likely that if I faced having to take out financially that I probably wouldn't have gone to mm -hmm. college for what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Because before I was already in my first, uh, you know, semester, I was already running around with a camera. And I was learning more on the ground than I was in formally in school because, you know, when it comes to that, obviously in, in the first two years you're doing a, a rerun of mm -hmm. high, you know, school. high school, which is aggravating to say the least and yeah. if you can at least get past that you're like okay like in my you know last two years i'll, I'll learn the stuff that i'm going to mm -hmm. use so that i can be a professional and make money and you know mm -hmm. have a career right um it, it just doesn't seem to get there and i, I feel like that's fall short for a lot of people you spend time learning a lot of theory mm -hmm. yeah like for us it was like what do you think a bunch of you know guys thought 100 years ago uh yeah almost 100 that. years now that what film meant to them and it's like it's completely different, 
you know? Yeah, um, I remember those type of classes because I yeah. went to school for communication and I did take a video production class. Um, and of course, the art history or appre- art appreciation classes oh and my, all that sort yeah. of stuff. And remember that. <laughs> yeah, the video production class was a. Uh, it was very hands-on, but at the same time, I didn't feel like I was prepared to be in that hands-on class because it was just yeah completely new. And of course, the equipment was old, and you had to rent it from the. Yep. From the school. You had to rent it from the school. Oh my gosh. It was dated. It was like it reminded me of high school where we learned like our driving class on dishwashers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was like, what's what's going on here? Like, is this the you know top of the line? Am I, am I going to get out of here and be like, hey, you know, Final Cut Seven? Um, mm-hmm. you know, I just dated myself. Um, Final Cut Seven is what everyone's using right now, you know, and just I, that didn't happen. I had great teachers. Don't get me wrong; they were good mentors. Um, I really tried to get the most out of the experience that I could by spending mm-hmm. extra time, asking the right questions, you know, trying to participate in any extracurricular mm-hmm. things that I could do, like a mini film festival that my teachers were throwing. And but what about the video editing? Did you edit on those outdated, on the outdated equipment in school, or what did you use to start learning to edit? Editing was, it's tough because when you're in when you're in class, like you're working on the machines that they have, and it seems that whatever software they've chosen to use is what you're pretty much gonna get good at. You know, and that I mean, not necessarily be your first choice. And then, there's also a problem with the crossover of technology. Like, say you're in class on a on a PC, okay, mm-hmm. but you own a Mac, you're not going to be able to use the same programs. You know, back then we didn't have the right. the connectivity that these programs have now, where you can pass things, you know, through one program to another. Different operating systems it just didn't we didn't have it like that. You're still using um, the CDs and yeah, everything. Oh, CDs, yeah. floppy drives, like that was before flash drives were you know even on the horizon. <laughs> I know it's just. It's Sounds, nuts to think about how much yeah. has changed. Um, but uh, as far as the editing goes, yeah, we pretty much learned what we could in class. There was too many of us for the, mm-hmm. our teachers to really walk around and make headway in terms of, you know, giving us a technique that we could walk out of there and practice at home. Mm-hmm. It was very much like, hey, running into a snag, how do I get past this? And it was just sort of just running around putting a Band-Aid on, you know, okay, th- fix this, fix this. Like, here's your homework, go home, and then hand something in that resembles your mm-hmm. assignment, hopefully. You know, and did you have to do your assignments on campus on their equipment, or did you have access to that? I had my own camera, fortunately, okay. because I was serious about investing in mm-hmm. it. For me, it wasn't it wasn't a question. Like, and if I wouldn't have been interested, then I would have just rented something mm-hmm. from you know the class. But uh, at that time, I wasn't skilled enough to take on you know sort of the uh, the task of learning all the different buttons mm-hmm. on the cameras at that point because it just like I want to focus on creating I'll focus on the technical mm-hmm. aspect a bit later so how have things changed in the creative marketplace technologically in the last decade and what would you say has been the impact it's had on your profession um, well when I started out I was filming on mini DV tapes so we we're actually using film so to speak mm-hmm. um, and then obviously things transitioned over to you know, like drives where most of what was happening was going to be on memory sticks or memory cards, SD cards. Um, so I would say that would be the most obvious change would just be the recording medium, the capacity, batteries. Obviously, you know, cameras have changed a lot in terms of going the same way other technology platforms do. You're getting more packed into a smaller package, mm-hmm. you know. Um, like nowadays where you have cameras that are could fit in the palm of your hand that would do what cameras, you know, 15 years ago we had to do with like a 50-pound setup that was, you know, took two guys to operate. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and you had to 
build it almost, right? Yeah, there's a lot of setup involved. You know, so I feel that the way that technology has been going and making it more easy, more accessible for the everyday person to adopt, you know, some of these cinematography techniques, you know, mm -hmm. really opens the door for a lot of creators who probably felt that it was a barrier to entry for them because of technology. Mm -hmm. But the biggest thing I think has changed is, um, you know, just connectivity between mm -hmm. platforms, like for editing, for post-production. A lot of resources have now come out for the everyday person to license music, license footage. Mm -hmm. We really just didn't have that back then, so that was a big barrier. Um, and then brushless gimbals, the what is that? motorized stabilizers that take care of you know keeping your camera stable. Mm -hmm. So it's not bobbing up and down on an X or Y oh, axis, okay. and it's not shaky. Back then, we used to have to do it mechanically. Like I like to use a stabilizer, like a glide cam, which works off of mechanics, and it's got a gyro uh, in it. And um, you really have to learn good fundamentals of balancing mm -hmm. first, and then, like an analogy would be, just like a race car driver has to be connected to the car to really know how far he can push it mm -hmm. or how far to stretch things. The same thing really happens when you're running a mechanical setup because you're so connected to it. You know how much force it takes your wrist to flick the camera to rotate at a certain speed mm -hmm. and in a certain direction because it's ingrained in your muscle memory already. And you can take some of those fundamentals over to other pieces of equipment if you're in a scenario where you don't have the luxury of having, you know, robots and batteries and all those wonderful things, mm -hmm. you know? So sometimes I think that it's important to have those fundamentals right. still, even if you feel like they're dated yeah. in a way, because you can't always rely on having that luxury of mm -hmm. the technology around yeah, you. Yeah, you just never know. Yeah, sometimes, you know, your production simply can't afford it, you right. know, or you may be in a situation where you, if you had good fundamentals on how to do a nice pan or a tilt with a tripod, which is the most basic of equipment, mm -hmm. then that tripod that was the only thing you had, you didn't have to miss the opportunity to still make a gorgeous shot because you were paralyzed right. by that. Oh my goodness, how do I make this look with such a, a stale and base piece of equipment? Right. You know, so... And can you do this by yourself, or um, yeah. do you need to have people assisting you? Um, it's always nice to have an extra pair of hands. And um, obviously, you don't want to have too many people mm -hmm. on set to where you're actually starting to manage people instead of the production. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, in, in the beginning, you learn how to do it yourself. Most of these uh, independent creators, mm -hmm. you know, when you're starting out, you don't have a budget for an editor or a script supervisor or a producer or actors and all these things. So you find yourself, you know, I guess just being honest with yourself about like, hey, you're going to need to learn how to edit. You're going to need right. to learn this and that and, you know, how to be a director of photography and work with optics. And, mm -hmm. you know, so it's important to know everything. So right. at least because then when you're at a point where you don't have to or you don't need to and you can give those responsibilities to someone else, that's when you really start to benefit from having a team mm -hmm. because everyone plays their role. It's not about like, oh, I want to be able to do everything. It's like, if I know what the role of someone else is like, I understand the demands mm -hmm. and the constraints that, that a person's going to have to live with, and I'll, I can hold them accountable within reason so that everything's working in harmony together. Right. So yeah. with all this, what would you say are your preferred tools and equipment? Do you have any favorites? Um. Well... Let's let's take it in all three stages of production, right? Pre-production, mm -hmm. principal photography, and post-production. So pre-production, my favorite piece of equipment is a pen and paper or a pencil. Mm -hmm. I don't really like to type things yeah. down. Or use an app and all those. Yeah, it's just too removed for me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's 
the part of the process where I need the most. So you um, like to keep it old school in that memory. sense. Yeah, I do, because I think that you remember things better by writing. I'm sure there's some wonderful statistic that I could find to back mm -hmm. that up. Mm -hmm. I've heard it many times, and I believe it because in practice that's what happens for me. And sometimes when you write a script and you have to step away from it for days or could possibly be months at a time, or you're working between multiple ideas, uh, I just find it nearly impossible to have that recall mm -hmm. when everything's really just being done and on digital. But you work with what works for you. Mm -hmm. 50 years from now, I'll, uh, I'll still be saying the same thing. <laughs> with your pen and paper. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jared, um, what's your favorite film and why? Oh, my goodness. Do you um, have any preferred genres? I, I feel like the low-hanging fruit here is Star Wars because it's what you know got me got into you started. it. Yeah. But I'd say along the way, a big another big film for me was the Matrix uh, trilogy. Obviously, like it was very very cool when it came out but i feel like that movie did a lot of things behind the scenes for the film industry it was mm -hmm. people made a huge rave about the bullet time technology that came out how they were shooting those slow motion sequences um and it really just like stories that challenge your your perspective your idea of the future and uh just stick to good storytelling they just followed some really great tenants of you know storytelling mm -hmm. that got you invested in the characters and everything that was going on i just thought it was fantastic i don't even think i've really watched a star wars movie to be oh, honest well, um, you've got plenty of time <laughs> so i might have to watch one now you're gonna have to play catch up because they're they're coming out with more and more yeah now, so. I, I just know that there was a new one uh, a few years ago and, mm -hmm. but i never i never saw it Beautiful. with uh, who is it leia princess leia and yes. the other with uh, the ears the big ears with oh my goodness that big ears. That You're talking about the big hairy guy? Thing? Chewbacca? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Yoda. That's oh, Yoda, Yoda. Yoda. Chewbacca's I'm the one that looks ears, like a Shih Tzu. I'm thinking ears, and I'm like, my goodness. Yeah, right? A really big one. Um, Chewbacca's yes. the one that looks like a Shih Tzu, right? Like yes, the dog. an eight-foot-tall okay. Shih Tzu. Yeah, yeah my, I have Shih Tzu, so that's why I... I, I <laughs> yeah, that's the one. ...remember Star Wars, because I just knew that my dogs look like that creature. <laughs> So, Jared, I want to talk again about the principles of film directing. So, what did you say were the stages of production? You said photography and... Pre-production, pre pre mm -hmm. principal photography, mm -hmm. and then post-production. Okay. Yeah. And um, what are the primary tasks with those? Uh, Pre-production is really a planning stage, so mm -hmm. it's, you know, um, first of all, figuring out, like, do we have an idea? And, you know, what is the likelihood of that idea merit being made into a film? Um, mm -hmm. You know, coming up with a story, figuring out who your characters are going to be, and then all the planning that comes with that, from the locations that you're going to film down to the dialogue and the script and the crew mm -hmm. that you're going to assign to the project. In other words, everything should be made In ready order. and accounted for so that when you're at the next stage, principal photography, you're ready to show up on set, everyone knows what their job is, and you start rolling camera. Yeah. So do you take pictures? You can in pre-production because say you're, you know, going location scouting and, you know, your crew is operating in, you know, a few different states over the course of a film. Maybe you have to send out your, um, you know, a PA or somebody to mm -hmm. location scout or you have to go out there, take pictures and bring it back to the drawing board for, you know, a storyboard or, um, you know, a script writing session where you need those visuals. Um, but, you know, fortunately today you can send mm -hmm. things digitally over right. a cloud. So... 
as far as people being connected over long distances. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, and it's a lot faster today, too. You could just send it, you know, with your smartphone before what you had to go home, download it to your computer. Yeah. Attach it, and it took an hour to, you to attach physically, something. you know, print it out sometimes and show up. And it's good to have those things. But if you're really using all the tech that's available out there now, all the team management software, things mm-hmm. like that, like there's really no excuse mm-hmm. for not being able to do things easily and remotely. And what about the people that have been in the industry, you know, for 30 years? You know, the the ones that are old school. Mm-hmm. How do you think they're doing with all this? You know, people who've been in the industry for a long time are. Um, sometimes they're set in their ways, and that's because those ways work. I mean, when you have a mm-hmm. good track record, you know, if it isn't broken, don't fix it. It's not about, you know, um, like not adapting, mm-hmm. because they, they have to. The technology is changing, mm-hmm. the crew that they have around them changes all the time, and they're using different tools and have different methods they're used to. We see it happening all the time, like reboots oh, of, yeah. you know, films or stories that are as old as time. And, and then they redo we're getting them the benefit of gorgeous, you know, CGI. We're getting beautiful, you know, camera work that we didn't have before. Uh, the quality, you know, is mm-hmm. different. I mean, th- all those things are obviously going to improve, but at the core, the people who shot and directed those films 30 years ago, their story's just as good, mm-hmm. you know, so. Kind of like the, um, with this, with uh, Disney Plus now, I noticed there's a lot of old Disney movies, you know, mm-hmm. when we were kids. Yeah, the, like in the the ones that were Wild created in the sixties <laughs> or in the forties, but now when they put it on Disney Plus, the quality is a lot better versus when it was on VHS, mm-hmm. like when you know when we were kids. Yeah, they're restoring a lot of that mm-hmm. footage, you know, adding new color to it, you mm-hmm. know, sharpening it, doing other things to take out some of those old artifacts and mm-hmm. clean up uh, the image because they can do a lot of that with software now. Fortunately, mm-hmm. yeah, because uh, when I watch a movie that I watched maybe when I was in elementary school and then I see it in HD today, <laughs> I feel like wow. something's not right. <laughs> yeah. Like it's not the same movie anymore. Yeah, it doesn't almost. have the same feel. And um, Jared, what traits do you think a director should have? Uh, as far as, okay, let's say like soft skills, like you should be able to be empathetic mm-hmm. because you want to put yourself in the shoes of other real people and then mm-hmm. also characters. Um you know, uh, as easily as possible. So that having patience with people, you're going to work with people with all kinds of experience, some who are very, very experienced and some who have none at all. Mm-hmm. And you have to have the patience to navigate that. And um, yeah, the things that you'll really live and die by uh, when it comes to production are uh, your casting, casting the right people. Oh, so you're roles. in charge of the casting then? Oftentimes the director is involved. Oh, okay. Unless... You know, they're being brought in on the project later on, but mm-hmm. uh, I would want to be involved okay. in the casting, especially if I'm going to be directing that person. Right. You know? um, and then also knowing, you know, that if you're casting the right way, that's really 90% of what you're doing. And the other 10% is knowing when to get in and out of the way of those people mm-hmm. who, you know, if you're casting properly, um, you really don't have to have a death grip on managing that acting experience. Obviously, you're going to be involved, but it's really just setting yourself up for success. Sometimes when you're creating a character or you're trying to fill a character's shoes, you imagine yourself in that role speaking to them or being them, and they have a certain way of being, answering, body language, tone, you know, their personality that you imagine. Just like when you're reading a book Mm -hmm. and your mind is filling in those gaps for you, and you don't even know why. And then this person has a face you've never seen, they have a voice you've never heard, They have a a manner that you've never experienced, but it's in your head like it's real, Mm -hmm. you know? 
And you can experience that when you're writing a script, when you're working with actors. So I think that yourself, the director, as well as your producer, other people on the team, have a vision if they're connected to the project of what they feel like that character really needs to look and feel like and sound like. Mm -hmm. And I think that the closer that person can nail that and in an audition, that doesn't require a lot of massaging and and being directed, so Mm -hmm. to speak, is the signal that the team gets that says, even if we had to start directing from here and get hands-on from here, this is a great starting point. Mm -hmm. Or they have it down so much, it's like, I would love to just see what they do, you know, uh, improvising with mm-hmm. this role because they just gave me a performance or a take on a line or a scene that I wasn't imagining but mm-hmm. I was just as much in love with or more than the original vision. Do you cast them more on whether they fit the role physically versus if they have you know formal training in acting? Look acting experience is important you know and just like anything on set for any role there's a protocol that you mm-hmm. want to follow and be versed in so things can go smoothly and you don't, you know, feel shy or embarrassed, you know, because I'm sure some people do. And I think that if they are well trained in terms of knowing themselves mm-hmm. and how to pull out their best performance and how to access that performance when they're asked to mm-hmm. do it, the better off they'll be.